The views expressed in this program are those of the individual participants and not necessarily those of WVUD or the University of Delaware. WVUD and UD Information Technologies present Campus Voices, conversations with University of Delaware faculty, staff, and students about their teaching, research, service projects, and other interests. To introduce today's guest, here's your host, Richard Gordon, manager of the IT Communication Group at the University of Delaware. Thank you, Jason. And joining me today on Campus Voices is Adam Rome, the Unidel Helen Goldner Chair in Environment. He's the lead organizer of the first annual Lights, Camera, Earth Film Festival at UD. That's going to be free and open to the public February 21st, 22nd, and 23rd in Mitchell Hall. Thanks for joining us, Adam. My pleasure, Richard. Now, before we talk about the film festival, let's talk about the Environmental Humanities Program here at UD. So this is a brand new program. It just uh, debuted in fall 2013, uh, and it's... Uh, for people with all kinds of interests, whether it's environmental studies, accounting, art, you name it, uh, who'd like a chance to think about the biggest questions about the environment. Uh, why do we have environmental problems? Uh, what do we really think about nature and why? Uh, and, and this is a new minor. Uh, we've already got uh, dozens of students who have enrolled. It's an interdisciplinary minor uh, that brings together people from English, history, uh, philosophy, the social sciences, the sciences. Uh, so it's an exciting new development in the college uh, arts and sciences. So I think one of the things that we were talking about last week as we were preparing for this interview is that history majors and English majors are uniquely qualified to look at some of these big issues. Absolutely. I, I think even scientists have really come to appreciate that the science alone never gives the answers to the really critical questions about what we'll do and, what, and not do why we take these problems seriously or don't, um, those are really humanities questions. They're, they're why questions, and, and knowing history, uh, knowing how people have perceived and thought about the environment through time, uh, philosophical questions about what kinds of environments we value and, and why, um, those are going to be critical. And, and, and the skills in communicating, writing, thinking clearly, succinctly summarizing your thoughts, uh, those are going to be valuable in all kinds of professions and, and they're the core of the humanities and the environmental humanities. Well, since you hold joint appointments in history and English, I'm not surprised to hear you say that. <laughs> <laughs> what kinds of things do you teach here? Well, it's been, a, it's been a pleasure to come here. I only came here two years ago from Pennsylvania State University. Uh, my training is in history, and I teach courses on uh, how Americans from colonial times to the present have related to the environment I teach a, a, a broader survey that's just called Nature and History that's about all over the world, how people have related to the environment since the dawn of agriculture to, up till now. But I was a journalist for quite a while before I got my Ph.D., and UD gave me a joint appointment in English, and I teach a course there on environmental nonfiction uh, since the great 1962 classic by Rachel Carson, Silent Spring, which really helped uh, found the modern environmental movement. And and that class takes up the same challenge in a way that, that our film festival does. Environmental issues are uh, complicated, they're often controversial, uh, and they can be really depressing. So how do you get people interested? How do you get them to read books about that subject now? 
That's the question in my environmental nonfiction class, English 365. Uh, but it's also one that all our filmmakers have been dealing with. How do you get people to, to watch this movies on this subject? Well, you've already started talking about the film festival, so let's keep going. It, it really is, first of all, I think it's interesting to me as a UD employee that, that this film festival is an example of how the Environmental Humanities Program can work with others here on campus to run an event. Absolutely. And one of the great joys of my short time here so far has been the chance to work with the people at the Delaware Environmental Institute, Denon. Uh, at most universities, the Environmental Institute is, is, is science only or maybe science and policy, uh, but it very rarely includes historians, philosophers, uh, journalists, English professors, art historians. Denon has been really welcoming to me and to all of us in the humanities and it's also unusual for an environmental institute in that it cares about undergraduates. It's not just about big money research done by faculty and grad students. So they have some great outreach programs, and they have a student committee, uh, and they've been integral in, in planning this film festival. And, and one of our film festival events is really sponsored by the Student Programs Committee of Den, and it's a student video competition uh, that'll end the festival on Sunday night, the 23rd. Uh, but... Denon is really committed to bringing together people, just as the Environmental Humanities Program is, uh, across disciplines, public and private, outreach. That's all part of the film festival. The outreach, I think, is very important. It's not just for the university community. It's for the Newark community as well. Absolutely. And and, and Newark has had its share of, of pressing environmental issues lately, uh, and, and so has UD. And so uh, I, I've, I've sponsored some earlier events uh, we did a, a plastic day two day two years ago where we had the author of a book called Plastic, a Toxic Love Story. And we also showed another one of these great new environmental documentaries called Bag It, which is very funny, although it's also serious. And a lot of people from the community came to those events. So I'm hoping the same thing will be true for our, our three-day film festival, which is free. So no reason not to come. As long as you're doing such a good job of plugging it, <laughs> why don't you remind the people of the dates? It is February 21st, Friday. Saturday, February 22nd, and Sunday, February 23rd. And it's basically all afternoon and evening, all three of those days. It's a, it's a whirlwind. Uh, some people will really want to just OD on films and, and want to see a whole bunch of them. Uh, others may only come to one session or one film. And we're going to have discussions after every film. I think that's part of the excitement. Uh, a few of the things at the festival you can't see anywhere else Others you could see uh, at home, but I think it'll be a lot more interesting to come out and uh, we'll have faculty members from different departments uh, introducing the films and leading discussion. And uh, I think the discussion is going to be really stimulating and fun. Listeners, you can go to www.udel.edu slash 002020. That's www.udel.edu slash 002020 to see the program online and to see... What movie is playing when? These are all at Mitchell Hall. The cost is zero dollars zero cents. I mean, how much? How much more could you want? The tagline for this uh, festival is eleven films, two directors, and one student video competition. That's a lot. It is. It is. It's to to make it seem less overwhelming. I think each day has a different theme. Uh, so if you come on Friday, the theme on Friday is activism, and we have uh, three great movies. Uh, and a director uh, who's um, got a work that it's not even out yet. It's it, it'll make its world premiere next month in Austin, Texas, at one of the major film festivals uh, about 
the most controversial, most explosive environmental issue today, the Keystone XL Pipeline. Uh, his film, John Fiege is the uh, filmmaker's name, above all else, is, is really a powerful uh, film about grassroots opposition to the pipeline, and that'll be Friday night, and we'll have a chance to get some, have him show clips and talk about his work and, 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 and a wonderful question and answer session. Uh, Saturday, a lot of people, when they think about nature, they think of you know Yosemite or Alaska or somewhere way far away. But we wanted to get people to thinking about how urban people relate to nature. So on Saturday, we've got a whole day of great films about urban nature. And we have another fantastic director, uh, Ian Chaney, who is one of the uh, leading lights in what I call the new wave of environmental documentary filmmakers. He's not even 35 yet, but he's already made uh, three great films. He's got a fourth in the works, uh, and he uh, starred and was the key idea guy for another famous film uh, called King Corn, where he and a college buddy uh, buy an acre of corn, uh, of farmland uh, in Iowa and decide to grow an acre of corn and then see what happens to it afterward. And then Sunday, we've got a, a bunch of reflective films, more philosophical films that really should make you think about what kind of species we are and how we relate to the other species on the globe. Uh, and then Sunday night, we come back to activism uh, with one more film and with the student video competition finalists. Uh, and we, we're giving some huge prizes, $1,000 first prize, $500 second prize, on the theme Dare to be Green. So I think some of those films will also be about what you can do. The students as well as some faculty will be deciding who the, the finalists are. And uh, they're, they're 10 minutes or less, so we'll, we'll be showing up to five of them uh, on Sunday night. Uh, it's a lot of films, 11 films, and you may want to come to all of them. That would be great. Uh, but you may be only interested in one or two of our themes, and, and then you'll get a nice package. So the film competition for the students will be, everyone will get to see the finalists on Sunday night. Why don't you talk a little bit about the format, how you're breaking it up into different sections, and how you're having faculty introduce some of the, the movies, but not talking for an hour and a half. Right, absolutely. I've, I've, I've asked the faculty to keep an introduction to five minutes or less, they're all, they, they range from English, art history, philosophy, uh, history, public policy, and water resources. We've got a lot of different expertises represented among our faculty members. And, and then they'll help guide a discussion. Uh, from my own experience, the discussions may just go of their own accord. I think people will find a lot provocative in all these films uh, to talk about. So we'll have at least uh, uh, half an hour of discussion uh, after each film. And and Friday night and Saturday night, when we have the filmmakers, um, we expect an even longer period, an hour or more of question and answer with the filmmakers uh, about their work and the challenges of, of being an environmental documentary maker now in 2014. Now, this is the what we think will be the first annual Lights, Camera, Earth film festivals. And this year, you've chosen all documentaries, but there's so many movies out there with an environmental theme. How did you decide which ones to pick? I mean, you, you didn't include things like Gasland or that one from 1982 with the long name that I can't ever pronounce. Kaina Squatsy. Yeah, that one. I mean, how did you how did you choose which ones to include? You're right, uh, Richard. It was really, uh, really hard to think about. Even 11, which sounds like a lot, is just a small number of all that we could have possibly focused on. And our library, by the way, the UD library has an incredibly good environmental film collection. There's There was like a hundred films just in our library that I thought we could potentially uh, 
just among documentaries. And then if you add feature films, it's an even larger number because there's so many genres, science fiction, road movies that turn out to have environmental themes and, and have for a long time. So the first basic decision I made was we, we would pick only documentaries. And there's really been a renaissance in environmental documentary. You know, I, I say these aren't your parents' nature films. Environmental documentary has become more popular, and it's also become incredibly more visually creative and more intellectually mind-bending. Some of these movies are really funny. They will make you laugh. Some of them are really, really provocative, uh, and many of them are really inspiring. They really will make you want to do more yourself and think about how you can. Uh, so I wanted to celebrate this new creativity, this new provocativeness in environmental documentary. I got suggestions from a whole bunch of my colleagues on the faculty, and we did rule out some films that are great because they've they've been shown on campus in the last few years. And uh, one of the things that some of these new filmmakers do is they borrow from other genres. They, they borrow from mystery or from action-adventure or from science fiction. We could have showed, for example, Who Killed the Electric Car, which is wonderful. It really does have, you know, suspect one, suspect two, and, it, and it's very, very clever. Uh, and the hero of the film, I think, is totally unexpected. It's a car saleswoman. But that's been shown on campus, and so has the sequel. We ruled out things that have been shown or that people m- might have seen and that, we, that still left us with a hell of a lot of great films to choose from. Before we let Adam run through the roster of what movies are going to be appearing at this first Lights, Camera, Earth Film Festival, I'll remind you that you can go to www.udell.edu slash 002020. That's www.udell.edu slash 002020. And you can follow along as Adam takes us through the uh, the list of films. And, and remember, this is for Friday, February 21st through Sunday, February 23rd in Mitchell Hall. It's free. There are no tickets required. Show up and enjoy yourself. Adam, why don't you tell us all about the movies? So our, our, our first one, Friday at 2, is Blue Vinyl. I, I think the name itself is supposed to make you smile, maybe make you think of some other cult films. It's, it is touted by the filmmakers as the world's first toxic comedy. And it, it, it came out in 2002, and it really was one of the very first environmental films that is funny. Uh, it, it's laugh-out-loud funny at points, uh, even though it's deadly serious. It's ultimately about the hazards of a, 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 an unbelievably common chemical, uh, polyvinyl chloride, PVC. Uh, but the filmmakers didn't want to make an oppressively earnest documentary. They wanted something that would be... Um, witty and and even cute. And so they found an ingenious way to do that. One of the filmmakers' parents had decided to replace the wood siding on their house with vinyl. And the whole film is her effort to find the evidence that um, that's not a good idea, that that they, they'd be uh, uh, imposing some real costs on, on, on other people and on the environment if they do that. So it's because she's got a loving relationship with her parents, um, her dis- and they're all smart and funny. Uh, the arguments that they have, the discussions they have, are really enlightening. There, and and I think this is a wonderful way to start. Uh, it's obviously also since we're in Delaware, you know, it's a little out there to start with something that takes on a, a part of the chemical industry. But what we hope uh, that'll that'll interest people. And what's next? Chasing Ice, which is only two years old, 2012. It's an it's one among a, a bunch of movies recently, documentaries that have uh, used art. Uh, especially photography, as a way to get at environmental issues. Some people may have seen um, Wasteland that showed on campus earlier. 
uh, or manufactured landscapes or even rivers and tides, which is unbelievably beautiful. Chasing Ice, like the others, has breathtaking images, stunningly beautiful images, but it's it's literally more daring. Uh, the, the photographer who's the center of it, James Balog, goes to the ends of the earth in the most forbidding conditions in order to get time-lapse photographs of glacier landscapes to see how the glaciers are receding, and, and it just blows you away. It, so both the North Pole and the South Pole? No, most uh, everywhere he goes is in the north. Okay. Uh, but he goes four or five different places, Iceland, Greenland, Alaska. For a movie about climate change, he's making a bet, and it'll be interesting to see what the audience reaction is. He's making a bet. He's really asking this big question, how do you get people to to think about this and to do something about this? Uh, he's making a bet that it's really all about perception, that if you can literally see the problem in new ways, uh, you'll be motivated to act. And he's a very, very compelling figure. I think uh, he, he's an inspiring figure. But it'll be interesting to see how people are, react to these this film. Then the, is the next section, the next session then is Friday evening? Okay, so that Chasing, Chasing Ice was 4.30 on Friday. Then we go Friday evening. We have our evening with the filmmaker John Fiege, who's going to show us clips from his uh, forthcoming film, uh, above all else, about the grassroots opposition to the Keystone XL pipeline. And he's another very young photographer uh, photographer and filmmaker. Uh, this is only his second documentary film, but he already has a unique style uh, that really immerses you in the lives of the people and in the place. And the the opposition to the pipeline, these people turn, turn out to be going up against a, a force that's way, way more powerful even than they expected. They, they knew they were taking on the big guys. Uh, but this turns out to be more risky and stressful than they thought, and it's it's a stunning, unforgettable film. I think anguished and hopeful at the same time. So then everybody gets a good night sleep <laughs> on Friday night, and it starts again on Saturday. On Saturday, right. We switch over to Urban Nature, and we start with a film that was nominated for an Academy Award called The Garden that's about incredibly large, 14-acre oasis in the wasteland of, of Warehouse Los Angeles, where a Latino community had created this stunning garden, uh, but they didn't own the land. And uh, the great drama of the film is when they get eviction notices, and then there's bitter struggle all through the rest of the film about what land use is best. Uh, And I think that makes uh, an essential point that um, debates about land use, which are all fundamentally environmental, uh, but they're they're never just about competing visions of the good life. They're also about property rights and about political power, and it's, this is a, a powerful film. And it's visually really interesting, too. The, the images of the garden, the aerial images as well as the images inside the garden are pretty stunning. The other two movies that are in that section on This Is Now Saturday Afternoon, Rock the Boat and Birders, The Central Park Effect, are both ones that I'm interested in. I know Birders, The Central Park Effect is one I've, I've <laughs> wanted to watch. <laughs> and I should say, we start on Friday at 2 uh, but on Saturday and Sunday, we start at noon. So the garden is at noon. Rock the Boat is also set in L.A. A lot of people in L.A. don't even realize that L.A. has a river. Uh, it's just this 50-mile concrete channel. It's, hard, it's, it's, it's off limits to any recreational use. Uh, and the film is a very witty film about some Los Angelinos who decide they're going to break the river open. They're going to cut down the, the padlock by kayaking the full length of the river to, to draw attention and um, and they do. Uh, they really make a difference. They make people think about the river in a new way. Uh, but this isn't just a Los Angeles story. Lots and lots of cities have rivers. 
that are really not part of the daily life of their citizens anymore, their residents. Uh, and that really, I hope, will change in the 21st century. Birders. I have to say, that was, of all the films that were showing, the biggest surprise to me when I saw that. I had never had any interest in bird watching before. Bird watchers have this reputation of being, at the very least, weird or, you know, little old ladies in tennis shoes. This, takes, this film takes us uh, breathtakingly with some subtle intensity, I think, through five seasons in Central Park of, of a community of birders. And, and they're all really, really interesting and very diverse people. Their reflections about why they enjoy watching the birds are really profound and moving. And, and I think they, they make a point that had really never occurred to me before, that birds are among the, the, the few wild things that we routinely see anywhere in the United States all the time. And so for a lot of people, their birding experience is a way to, to connect to the, the great chain of life or to a diminishing wilderness right there in the middle of the city. What's really cool about that movie is, you know, you think of people who are doing bird watching going off into the hills or off onto the heath, into the moors, but here these are folks doing it in an urban setting. Absolutely. Uh, and some of them only do it in, in spring and fall when there's incredible migrations, just like there are in Delaware. We're on the same flyway uh, for birds that Central Park is in New York. Others of them are four-season birders, and 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 and, and the uh, scene, the, the especially the winter scenes, that was really stunning to me. And Saturday night, you've got the director Ian Shaney coming in to show one of his movies and talk about it. Right. So he's made three movies plus King Corn, and he's uh, but the most ambitious of them is called The City Dark, and it it really is asking the question: What do we lose, and and what do other creatures lose uh, in the modern world of light pollution? Uh, of uh, incredible arrays of artificial light that make it impossible to see the sky in most places that we live. And it's a practical film, but it's also a philosophical film. Uh, and, and and again, it's visually stunning, creative, uh, uh, ranging from childlike wonder to sober analysis, uh, from myth to modern science. Before you got to Delaware, I can remember when Hurricane Floyd came through and we were without power for quite some time, and suddenly... In the Wilmington era, you could see the stars again. One of the guys he talks to at the beginning of the film is is uh, an astronomer who works for the University of Staten Island. And he says he's only seen the Milky Way in Staten Island twice in his life. Once was in this famous 1965 blackout in New York. And the other was also in the, in the blackout, uh, I think, of like 2000. Uh, one or two thousand two, but yeah, if you if you spend most of your time in the city, uh, you have no idea what the night sky is really like. Uh, and one part of the film, he goes to places that he calls islands of darkness, uh, where you the sky still does have the power to astound. Then it gets to be Sunday afternoon at the Lights Camera Earth Film Festival occurring on campus. That would be Sunday, February twenty third. Right, we're talking about. And you've got a triple header that afternoon, followed up with a double header in the evening. <laughs> so we start with Grizzly Man, directed by the great Werner Herzog, Academy Award-winning director. Uh, and it's really a, a story of two filmmakers. The main character in it, Timothy Treadwell, uh, spent 13 summers living among grizzly bears in Alaska. Uh, and by his own lights, befriending them. He named them. He thought they... He'd earned their respect. He took uh, hundreds of hours of, of footage, stunning footage of himself with the grizzlies uh, and with his pet fox who he adopts. Uh, and then the bears didn't eat his pet fox. <laughs> no, uh, they, they eat one of the babies one day of one of his pet fox. And 
Uh, he's got this very romantic view of nature that doesn't really allow for predation. And it's, it's, it's a stunning scene in the movie when that happens. But Werner Herzog has almost the opposite view of nature. Uh, he thinks nature's chaos. Nature doesn't care about us. But I think he, he actually has more complicated thoughts than it appears. And the film will make you think about what do we really want from the world? It may not care about us, but we often care about it. What, what do we hope to get out of, out of nature? We follow that with another unbelievable film by an uh, Oscar-winning director, Project Nim. That person's other film, by the way, is wonderful. It's not about an environmental theme strictly, but Man on Wire, about the guy who walks on tightrope between huge buildings uh, and on bridges. But Project Nim is about one of the craziest, most bizarre scientific experiments ever. Uh, a newborn chimp is taken away from his mother shortly after birth and then raised in a human family in a, in a suburb to see whether he can learn language, learn to communicate. So he's, he's breastfed by the mom. He's put in diapers. He eats in, with the family. He plays in the yard with these, his human siblings. Then he's taken to another university-owned estate where he's taught sign language. On the one hand, you might think that this is a humorous story. Parts of it are horrific. Parts of it are poignant. Uh, but I think it really does raise some profound questions about the nature of science and the limits of empathy uh, and, and, and whether or not humans ultimately are going to be able to learn to listen to the many voices of nature. And the third member of that triple header? Fast, Cheap, and Out of Control, uh, directed by the great documentary filmmaker Errol Morris, who uh, was Roger Ebert's favorite documentarian. Uh, Fast, Cheap, and Out of Control is another, I mean, I love all these films, but this is another one that I just think will, will blow you away. It's about four very odd people, uh, a lion tamer, a topiary gardener. Uh, many people don't even know what that is. It's almost defunct, but it's shaping trees and hedges into animal or other shapes, sculpture. Um, a guy who designs uh, museum exhibits for a kind of rat that actually behaves like a bee. So it's a mammal, but it, it has all the social instincts of, of an insect. Uh, and then a guy who designs robots that are modeled on insects. And and as you're watching, you suddenly realize the, these folks aren't freaks. They're extreme examples of some very basic ways that people have always related to nature. Uh, we master nature. We shape nature. Uh, we marvel at nature. Uh, we mimic nature. Uh, and I think ultimately... Visually stunning, creative ways this film makes us think about our evolution as a species. Where have we come from? Where might we be going? And closing down the Lights, Camera, Earth Film Festival on Sunday night, the 23rd. We start with, uh, we're returning to the activism theme, uh, No Impact Man. And this is the story of a guy living in New York City who, who, like Henry David Thoreau in the 19th century, decides he wants to experiment for a year in simple living. Can he reduce his environmental impact to nothing or next to nothing? Um, Thoreau, when he did that at Walden in the 19th century, was a solitary guy. Colin Bevan, no impact man, is married. He's got, a at the beginning of the film, I think, a two-year-old daughter, and he's in this big city, and and. You know, will he, there's, there's all kinds of drama. Will he drive his family crazy as he slowly tries to to radically change their their pattern of life? They they give up motorized transportation. They try to produce no garbage. They stop buying new things. One night after a big party, they turn off the electricity 
in their apartment and they don't turn it on again for months. Uh, needless to say, he becomes famous. He becomes the butt of media jokes. His wife's colleagues think she's he's nuts, she's nuts. But he finds all kinds of joys as well as frustrations in this experiment. He learns a lot, and so does his wife, and so does his daughter. And I think they change as a result, and uh, it'll be great to see whether people watching the film also start to think that they might change as well. Uh, and then we end with the film finalists, the student competition finalists for the last hour. Dare to be green. Dare to be green. I think just it sounds like a fantastic program, and I hope that people will come out to, if not all 11 movies, to several of the different sessions. This, again, is the Lights, Camera, Earth Film Festival. We hope it's the first of many. Friday, February 21st through Sunday, February 23rd in Mitchell Hall. Free and open to the public, the general public too, not just the university community. No tickets required. Uh, We suggest you probably get there about 15 minutes early to find your seat. Thank you so much for coming in, Adam. Thank you, Richard. It's been fun. Thanks for listening to Campus Voices, a collaboration between WVUD, the broadcast voice of the University of Delaware, and UD Information Technologies. The views expressed on this program are those of the individual guests and do not necessarily reflect the official views or policies of WVUD, UD Information Technologies, or the University of Delaware. For more information about Campus Voices and to find archive copies of this and other episodes, visit our website. Using all lowercase letters, go to www.udel.edu slash campusvoices. We invite you to tune in every Thursday morning at 8.30 for Campus Voices on 91.3 FM, WVUD, and WVUD HD1, Newark, or online at wvud.org.